All right, for those of you, in fact, many of you uh, will not know who I am. Um, <clears throat> my name's Nat, I'm a Christian, and I haven't been here for six months. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I'm actually one of the associate pastors. I do uh, help mark out with the morning service, which basically means just preaching every three to four weeks, um, and every now and then I get some time away from preaching to do other things that pastors do, um, which I'm still figuring out. Uh, but tonight, we're starting a new series, which we'll get the... Oh, it's not on the back. Oh, there it is. Um, <clears throat> called The Life of Elijah. This is starting off in 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, which we'll read through in a moment. And uh, it is a very exciting story, uh, very narrative-driven, as a lot of the Old Testament is. And it's something that hopefully uh, will capture you guys just as much as it's captured me. So let's get into the reading, and then we'll press on. Press on. There we go. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go from here and turn eastward and hide yourself in the, uh, by the Wadi Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink for, from the Wadi. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went, <coughs> pardon me, oh, that's horrible to hear in the speakers. Uh, <coughs> my apologies. <laughs> Which is east of the Jordan. Yeah, you shall drink from the wadi, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the wadi Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the wadi, which is a river, by the way. <laughs> but after a while, the river dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now to Zareph, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he went out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said to him, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing bait, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks that I may go home, prepare my, uh, for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of meal will not be emptied, and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days, and the jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Cool. <laughs> Some amazing things happening in there. Let's talk about the big picture, though. It's very much like watching a TV series over the next few weeks as you go through this. <clears throat> watching a good TV series, you realise it's not really about the episode-to-episode -episode story that's happening. What really captures you is the big arc. 
the arc story that happens from start to finish. And when you grasp onto what is actually happening, you can go right back to the first episode and see it start to unravel. Well, I'm going to absolutely ruin this sermon series by giving you the big arc straight away. We're not going to discover it. It's going to capture you immediately. The big picture is that it is a God versus God battle that is happening in the land of Israel at the moment. You don't see it very much, but we'll explain it. You see, there is a relation dynamic that is happening here. God, as we know, is a God that says, I want you to worship me and me alone, no other. Rely on him to provide everything. But how is that relationship supposed to work? What does reliance really look like? We see in Deuteronomy, in chapter 11, 10 to 17, where it says, this is, and this is words from God to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, for the land which you go to possess, which is the land they're now in, is not like the land of Egypt, which you have come, where, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you crossed over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land from which, uh, for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain of your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain. You may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil, and I will send grass in your fields for your livestock. You may eat and be filled. Take heed for your, to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there would be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. So the question is, how reliant were they supposed to be on the Lord? What was the relationship? Well, how dependent are we as humans upon receiving water to survive? We need it to drink. We need it for our livestock. We need it to grow plants, crops, which includes the grain, the grapes, the olives, which in then, in turn, begins to get the economy up and running. It's the stuff that we trade. And it's, honestly, that's, it's what we need to survive. The lives of the people are totally dependent on the consistency of the weather, particularly in this land. It is not like Egypt, where it has the Nile, and they can run channels. Jerusalem is on top of a mountain. You could run buckets if you wanted, but I don't think it would be quite worth it. So surprise, surprise, we need water to live. But there is a tension here. The rain and the life that is promised for tomorrow is dependent upon the obedience and the faithfulness, the obedience of the people and the faithfulness of God. Every year, they have got to receive rain to survive. They are in a land where to have anything else means death. Dependence and God and God alone every day in every season and in every year is necessary. There is no backup plan. There are no pipelines, there are no rivers. Jerusalem, again, on top of a mountain. 
what they have instead of all of these physical assurances is the assurance that they have in having faith in the Lord. This is the relationship dynamic that exists between Israel and God. He is Israel's one and only plan. As a nation, they rely on him. Their security is in faithfulness. Their security is in him. This is truly living paycheck to paycheck. This is the way that Israel is supposed to live. And it actually sounds really good. Doesn't that, as a Christian, make you go, yeah, that sounds wonderful. I would love for God to be the one that I only rely on, nothing else. But it is scary. But this works for a time. For a time they are faithful. But then it begins to decay. The relationship begins to fall apart. And this is where we come to our God versus God situation. You can probably guess for a few reasons why the relationship may have failed. They begin to become entitled. They expect God's providence. They forget how good he is to them. They forget that they rely on his faithfulness and they begin to become thankless. But more than that, not only do they stop worshipping Yahweh and stop obeying him, but they begin to worship false gods and in fact start to give thanks to the false gods for the, for the rain that Yahweh has given to them. Man, that's just a massive spit in the face. Look at where we are in time. At this point in Scripture, if we were following back the last few chapters all the way back to King Solomon, any king after him was getting worse and worse and worse. Everyone has the following description that they did eyes, uh, did eyes, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And it comes up again and again and again. And then we get to Ahab, who is the king at this time. And he is described as having done more evil in the eyes of the Lord than anybody else before him. What did he do? First, he saw all of his sin as something that was trivial. He had no desire to be holy, to live according to the Lord. Second, the second worst thing you could possibly do is he married a bad woman. He saw sin as trivial and then he married a woman called Jezebel. There was a time where if you were called a Jezebel in church, that was bad news. In, she was... Uh, you'll hear more about her later as we go through, but basically her hobbies consisted of murdering prophets, uh, encouraging prostitution inside of the temples, and in the book of Revelation, right at the end, we, the whole church receive a warning, do not be like Jezebel. <laughs> she is bad to the bone. There is nothing good about her. But Ahab is king, and he has married her and has taken her side. He serves and he worships the false god Baal. He sets up an altar to Baal, an Ashtaroth pole, and he does more evil than any other. For generations, the kings have now been doing evil, disobeying, going against that word in Deuteronomy that you need to remain faithful and therefore I will be faithful to you. This is the relationship that has been betrayed. What has happened to the relationship that they were supposed to have with Yahweh? Not only is it forgotten, 
but they, now they give thanks to a false god for it, a god that says, Baal, who is said to be the false god of storms, of weather. This is akin to, say, one of my kids, I have children, by the way, I have three children, two post-utero and one pre. Um, <laughs> this is like one of my kids, they also have names, but that's later. <laughs> This is like one of my kids, who I've loved for years, deciding that instead of coming up and giving their gratitude and their love to me, they instead come up to Isaac. Say, Isaac, pretend that I'm a four-year-old girl. (laughs) Thank you so much for all those bedtime stories, Isaac. I've really appreciated the way that you read them to me with such love and care. You put on the voices and everything. And those baths, mate. I've really appreciated being bathed by you. (laughs) And I understand at times you've had to discipline me, but now as an adult, I can really respect that. Even as a four-year-old, I can really respect that. (laughs) The cuddles, the camping trips, the amount of times that you've wiped my bum (laughs) and applied cream to my nether regions has just been a delight. Thank you, Isaac. Man, Isaac didn't do any of that stuff. (laughs) And I don't think we can be friends anymore. (laughs) Because even worse, not only has Isaac not done this stuff, but at least Isaac exists. It's not as though my kids are now going up to empty air and giving all their thanks, all their obedience, all their praise just to a blank space and worshipping it. Their kids are not, my kids are not doing that and not, but Israel is. The one who has been faithful for generations, continued to give them rain, continued to give them all that they need to be able to prosper as a kingdom, is now seeing them turn to an empty space and give thanks to it for all that Yahweh has done. One of the titles that Yahweh gives himself is that he is slow to anger. There has been generations of them being disobedient before he has taken action to take away their reign. That is slow to anger. But it is important to note that in our scripture reading, there is a day where the anger does come. He is slow to anger, but... Sin is repaid. And that is where our story this evening begins. His anger that has waited for so long is now exhibited in taking away the rain from Israel. And a challenge is being set. The big ark. If you are going to worship Baal, who is the one that you say gives you the rain, let me take that rain away and see what he can do. This is what we're going to see come out again and again over the next few weeks. Yahweh continuing to take away, withhold the rain and just waiting for Baal to do anything. God versus God, Yahweh versus Baal. And we'll see how it unfolds. That is enough of the very long story to the 
big arc. But it's really important that we understand what is happening in Scripture as a whole at the moment. And it's going to bear fruit tonight and in the following weeks. But for tonight, I want to keep us in mind of that relationship dynamic that tomorrow is guaranteed by the Lord and the Lord alone. Israel was called to be faithfully dependent upon God for the life-giving reign. Their tomorrow is in his hands. We will see this come up another several times inside of this passage. So let's go back to the smaller story, this episode. Elijah, the man that we're actually focusing on, what was he called to do? Ultimately, he is called to go to the most evil king Israel has ever seen, who is known for murdering prophets, and tell him that God has judged him and his nation is stuffed. How do you think a prideful, evil, powerful king was going to respond to a word like that? Well, we see that Elijah, after giving the word, is then sent into exile to flee for his life. And we find out later that the response of the king is to send out word to all of the surrounding nations to hunt this man down and to kill him. The first point we have tonight is do not be afraid. Elijah knew exactly what was going to happen when God told him to go and have a chat with Ahab. He knew that if he lived at all, his life would not be the same. He wasn't going home after this. He wasn't going to have a hot shower with a cold beer. There was no Netflix. There was not going to be any guaranteed food from the pantry, no shelter and no safety. Safety tends to go out the window when you've got nations hunting you. And no clothes. He knew that his tomorrow was 100% in the hands of God if he was going to be faithful to what he had been commanded to do. Everything he needed to live would have to be provided. Does this sound familiar? This dynamic of relationship? Isn't it the same that Israel had, was supposed to have with Yahweh? Elijah's tomorrow was in the hands of God just as Israel's was supposed to be. Have faith. Unlike Israel, Elijah responded in obedience. He trusted his tomorrow to the Lord. He trusted everything that tomorrow needed to Yahweh. He did as he was commanded to do and he went before Ahab and he guaranteed that he was never going home. But he trusted. He didn't see any guarantee of tomorrow. Nothing was his clothing, his home, his money, his job. His guarantee was only in the provision of the Lord. But he didn't wait until the Lord was faithful in his provision before being faithful in obedience first. He had to be faithful. He had to be obedient before he could see how the Lord was going to provide. He had a word from the Lord and he obeyed. And this is the relationship that Israel was supposed to have with Yahweh. And it's wonderful. You think about the size of what it is that he just did. He stepped before the king who guaranteed his death. A king who had the power to order nations to hunt this man down. And he came out of it unscathed. 
But here is the third point. The Lord provides. To Elijah was granted life. God gave him everything that he needed. And here is the challenge for us. God's provision doesn't always look like what we want, but what we need. It would be easy to trust tomorrow to God if tomorrow looked exactly like today, or maybe a little better. If I knew that following God meant I got to keep my PlayStation, I got to keep my house, and that's probably the order I'd do things in. (laughs) If I got to keep having my coffee and my car and my bank account and my, 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 etc., 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 it would be easy to follow God if I knew nothing actually had to change. But that is not faith. God's provision for us doesn't look like that at all. When Catherine and I, that's my wife's name by the way, I'm also married. (laughs) When Catherine and I first got married, I had great expectations for what was coming. I expected dual income. Oh man, that would be the day. I expected, I had a five-year plan. You know, we were going to be able to buy this house, pay enough of it off, fix enough of it up and then move on. Get a nicer house, a nicer car, whatever it is. That plan's gone now, it's distant past. And what we found instead was that Cat was instantly sick with chronic fatigue, with no end in sight. No dual income, no money from her side at all. We could barely pay the bills as we went through from week to week. And we started to pray and I expected that at some point God's provisions were going to look like those stories that you hear. That you pray, Lord, I have faith, I'm now going to walk out to the letterbox and there's going to be 200 bucks that's going to cover this. I cannot tell you the amount of times I checked my letterbox and it was just bare. Uh, Or it did have a letter in it, but it's usually requesting more money. Or the next thing that I started to believe and maybe have a chance in is that you know, we'd get the occasional call from Kidney Health Lotto. Today, it's $20,000. If you buy one of our lotto tickets, which are insanely expensive, you may get the chance to win $20,000. Maybe that's how the Lord is going to work. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> Not for me, anyway. <laughs> it took me a while to realise that God had already provided for us. He had provided in the things that he had given us in the years beforehand, or should I say, in the way that I had spent my money as a young single man. He had provided me with a motorbike, surfboard, record player, all these things that I then realised I could sell. And provided further in that half the people that took the stuff from Gumtree rang up and said, I'd give you double if, you take it, if I take it right now. It's got to be the worst haggling ever. (laughs) Surely they could have read the desperation into the description I'd given the items. God provides, but he does not guarantee that there will be no change. This is the challenge to our obedience. Suddenly, obedience comes with a cost. The cost of a motorbike or a surfboard or your house 
or your safety or the guarantee of food tomorrow, at least as far as the pantry goes. But he does provide with that which we cannot get from any other way, and that is life. Elijah, Elijah's life did not look the same as it did before Ahab, before he was obedient. He was fed by birds. If anyone had seen that, they would have thought he was just raven mad. <laughs> yeah, that's about the response I got in the morning service too. <laughs> that is fast food. He drank out... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought I'd just slip that one in. Uh, he drank from a stream of water and he slept in a ravine. The Kerith Ravine is known to be so quiet that it makes you feel like you're going insane. His life was not the same as it was before he was faithfully obedient to the Lord. But he had life and he continued on. And the Lord gave him what he needed. We have seen the result of not being obedient with Israel. God didn't punish them, he just took away what he was providing. That doesn't seem unfair. It just happens to be that what he provides is everything we need for life. Do not be afraid. Have faith. The Lord provides. The next time this comes up, Uh, and there's nothing new, it's going to be the same thing over again, is don't be afraid. And we see here, it is in the creek, uh, sorry, after the creek has dried up, that Elijah gets instructions. Go and find a widow. She's going to provide everything that you need. Yes. All right, no more meat from the beaks of birds. No more water from a stream. But what do you think he did expect? A widow that owned a bed and breakfast? A hotel? A well-off family that was going to provide for him? At least some luxury? I'm fairly certain what he didn't expect when God said, I'm going to provide, was someone that was going to provide a quick meal and a slow death. There was no hope where he rocked up. She had enough to eat a single meal for her and her son and then guaranteed death after that. She had no food. She had no backups. There was no food troves. There was no caches. Elijah had no money himself for the sound, uh, from the sound of it. Neither did this lady. And don't forget that we're in the middle of a drought now. Food is not going to be readily accessible. What does Elijah do? Even if he took the food that God had promised him from this woman, it sealed the fate of her and her child. It meant their death. It meant there was no tomorrow for them. Their tomorrow looked incredibly bleak. His faith was going to potentially kill them. Have faith. Elijah obeyed God. He trusted what God was going to provide. And he trusted it enough to then put this woman and her son in his hands as well. He placed now not just himself, 
but this family in God's hands and he obeyed and he took the remaining portion of the bread. And what do we see? The Lord provides. Lo and behold, what happens? The oil and the flour jars never run out. God provides. It is not just the oil and the flour that he gives, though. It is life. And it should be noticed that like the ravens, this is not a usual mode of provision. The scripture doesn't say even that the jars were full. That they were given a week's load of flour and oil. They didn't win the lottery and get 10 billion jars of oil and flour. What it says is that the jars never ran out. Every day they had again to place their faith in the Lord that he was going to provide for tomorrow. That as they ate what looked like the last of the oil and the last of the flour again, they would say, tomorrow is the Lord's. He will provide. There will be enough here tomorrow. And again, there was enough for tomorrow. Tomorrow was in God's hands. Again, what does this relationship dynamic look like? It is the one that is commanded of Israel to have with Yahweh. God gave them life and they survived like this for years. As we come to the end of the scripture and even the sermon tonight, we have to reflect on a few things and ask ourselves the question, am I like Elijah or am I like Israel? Am I faithfully obedient and do I trust tomorrow to the Lord? Or am I afraid? And do I trust my tomorrow to my banks, to my parents, or even to the government? Do I prepare to follow the Lord's commands, even though it will mean my life will never look the same again? Or do I love that which I have now more than I trust God? Am I aware that God is the one that provides life? I must trust and obey, for there is no other way. Am I aware that the Lord is slow to anger, but that there is an end? And it could be now. Be obedient now. We have seen God remove his provision to the unfaithful, but keep his obedient servant Elijah alive. I'd say round one of the God versus God, Yahweh versus Baal fight, definitely goes to Yahweh. Baal has thus far not shown up. I want you to... They are big questions and they are sermons all by themselves. I'm just going to leave you with them. And I think tonight, if something in there has touched your heart, has left you asking questions, I'm more than happy to pray with you. I think there is a prayer team. Ebony, prayer. You're in, you're in charge. She's the one for the questions. Come down the front. 
Let's pray together. Let's pray right now. Father, we come before you giving thanks because you are a Lord that provides. What do you ask from us? All you've asked is that we would just be obedient, that we would trust you. You are not a God that decides decides to provide one day and not the other. We've even seen how slow to anger you are in taking that provision away. Father, you are worthy of us following you. And I pray, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would shift our hearts in some direction, reveal to us that if we are holding on to the comforts or to the joys or to life as it is and ceasing to follow you because of that, Lord, that you would reveal it to us. Father, we pray that we would continue both as individuals and as a church, Lord, to trust our tomorrow to you. You are the one that provides. Let us not be afraid. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app. 